Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson podcast on justthenews.com. I hope you'll check out all the Just the News podcasts. You can go to justthenews.com and see the list of them on the homepage. Today, how a radical Bernie Sanders supporter came to create one of the most thought-provoking and controversial films of our time. Mickey Willis tells what motivated him to direct Plandemic, what happened to him after it was released, and what to expect in his upcoming Plandemic 3. Let me get you up to speed on the controversial film Plandemic by reading from the website of the creator, PlandemicSeries.com. It says, The first installment of Plandemic, a 26-minute documentary featuring celebrated virologist Judy Mikovits, has been seen by over 1 billion people worldwide, setting a historic record. The premiere of Plandemic 2, also known as Indoctrination, Featuring a white-collar crime investigator, Dr. David Martin, also set a world record with 2 million viewers attending the global live stream. The two-part series was declared debunked by critics all over the world. Again, this is from the website of the creator. In the name of science and public safety, the gatekeepers of free speech took unprecedented measures to censor the information they called dangerous conspiracy theory. When Dr. Mikovits made the bold claim that COVID-19 was manipulated in a lab, she was smeared as crazy. When Dr. Martin exposed the patents and paper trail, proving that Dr. Fauci was funding dangerous gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab, critics laughed. Today, the critics are no longer laughing, says the website. Through accredited scientific studies, every major claim made within the pandemic series has been validated as accurate. Plandemic is now being acknowledged for being among the first to warn the world of the agenda to reduce the liberties of citizens through medical tyranny. Though we had no intention of receiving awards for this series, we are honored to have won the European Independent Film Award for Best Documentary as it displays an encouraging shift in public awareness and courage. Now, you can and should look into opposing views on this. Those are super easy to find because there was a huge propaganda campaign against Plandemic once it became viral couple of good articles that you could look for. The New York Times wrote, How the Plandemic Movie and Its Falsehoods Spread Widely. Again, How the Plandemic Movie and Its Falsehoods Spread Widely. And from the propaganda website that writes on behalf of vaccine interests, science.org, they wrote an article called Fact Checking, Judy Mikovits, the Controversial Virologist, who, of course, was not controversial, except they made her controversial, uh, for appearing in Plandemic and making the allegations that she made. But you can read both sides of this, get yourself informed, and make up your own mind. i also point out the New York Times, while it still does some great reporting, has published a lot of false material regarding the COVID pandemic, the Wuhan lab theory, and many other things. So just take all of this with a grain of salt and make up your own mind. Now here is Mickey Willis, director of Plandemic. Well, when I was in my early 20s, uh, 30 years ago, my brother was killed by AZT, the medicine that was prescribed for AIDS patients and pushed by Anthony Fauci as the miracle cure. And 34 days later, my mom was killed by uh, bad cancer treatments. And so that opened my eyes to some of the problems we have within Western medicine. And uh, but with without the ability to research the way we have right now, I kind of put it all behind me and um, and did my best to forget about it. 
And then I met uh, Judy Mikovits about uh, three years ago, and she was uh, looking at the possibility of making a movie out of the, her, the book she had just written about Anthony Fauci and her time um, under his um, direction. And when she mentioned his name to me, I thought, God, I know this name. And then I flashed back to remembering that this is the man at the, at the helm of the AZT debacle and, uh, and responsible for killing, uh, uh, you know, countless people. And I was amazed that he was still uh, holding a position as a, a leader of our global health policies. Um, and then when the pandemic broke out, um, there he was, he resurfaced. And, and that's when I called Judy and said, we need to uh, get together and record an interview to uh, warn the world of what's coming. So just for sake of uh, fairness and accuracy and all that, obviously there are more sides to a story. When you say something like Anthony Fauci has killed people, I have to be sure and say that there will be included in this podcast um, some other resources people can look to to find opposing views. There are many. One of the reasons I'm interviewing you is it's so easy to find one viewpoint of almost everything that you talk about, but very hard to find facts studies and information on the other side, even though many in many instances, we're talking about peer reviewed published studies and very scientific information. So in terms of the things that you say and the allegations you make, I'll, I'll balance that out with some other information people can use and uh, continue from there. So you got together. Tell us who Judy is, because she she turned out to be really when people wanted to attack your film, they went after her. But she seemed on the face of it initially to be a very credible and almost unimpeachable figure. Well, she is. And that's the problem, um, because she really speaks from facts and uh, is, has been unstoppable where most people would have stopped long ago because of, you know, the amount of intimidation that she's received. Uh, most people would have cashed it in and just hit, hit under a rock. But uh, Judy is a, a real brave woman. And um, she was just here with me. As a matter of fact, her husband just died. And so she was here to record a memorial to her, to her husband, <clears throat> her husband who died of COPD. Um, uh, and, uh, and again, was it all had to do with medicine. He was denied the medicine uh, because of the COVID situation. He, he was not able to get the medicine that he had needed for decades and uh, that sustained his life for decades because of his respiratory condition. And eventually it caught up with him and, and he died from it. Um, and so, and, and in comment to, to, cause I want to be clear too, you know, that's an extreme statement that I made about Anthony Fauci. And I would never make that statement if it wasn't for years and years of research of understanding. Um, I, I am one that's very allergic to extreme statements and extremism in all, in all directions. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm known for, um, doing my best to speak from a very positive place and not going to where a lot of the conspiracy theorists go in return in, in terms of our, our health leadership. Um, but at this point, I just, I just can't uh, sugarcoat it any longer because we, we have people that are being harmed right now because of the, um, the uh, hiding of, of medicines that actually work to um, push experimental medicines that are doing damage. And so I just, I just can't sugarcoat it and, and hide from that any longer. There's, there's too many people being damaged out there. So I just wanted to, to say that, but with respect to your show, I will be as careful as possible. That's all right. And um, some of the views that you just expressed are shared by other scientists that I've spoken to, uh, public health officials who have said things, many of them off camera, not wanting to be quoted for obvious reasons, but 
This yeah. is something that's being widely talked about. Um, can you synopsize for people who did not watch Plandemic and may have just heard that there was this documentary that kind of went viral out there and then became controversialized by those who didn't want the message out there. What is in the simplest terms the message behind that documentary? Well, the message is uh, within the name itself that this is a pandemic, and I would never have used such a controversial title for any of my projects had I not had um, stacks of documentation dating all the way back to the 50s of all the ways that a respiratory virus would be used eventually as a form of warfare to, um, to have people uh, give up their civil liberties and to be able to push an agenda to um, ultimately digitize our world and, and create a, a, a state of surveillance and, and, and tracking systems um, that's very similar to what they're doing in communist China right now with social credit scores and all of that. This has been in the works for a very long time. So what Plandemic One spoke about, it was just Judy Mikovits' story, and, and she worked un under um, the NIH, which was led by Anthony Fauci, and became privy to some um, dark workings uh, of the industry and, <clears throat> and simply just refused to play the game. And so many doctors are kind of forced and coerced um, or they're um, asked to do uh, something illegal that leaves them with, with blood on their hands or, as they would say, dirt. Um, they can then be used against them um, should they ever discover anything behind the curtain that they shouldn't uh, say out loud in, in the world. And so uh, that's what Dr. Judy encountered. And, and instead of staying quiet like so many do to save her grants and, and to keep her job, she spoke out and she became a, a big threat and learn the hard way. Um, it's amazing that she's still alive uh, because they thought, well, if they, they took, they, they drove her into bankruptcy, put her in jail for five days, planted a notebook from the lab in her, in her apartment, which she was uh, the home that she was renting from one of the owners of the lab. So they had access to her home. Um, and really set her up and framed her so that she would be in a position um, to look like uh, she was the criminal. And then, she, and then she could never speak out again because they always held it over her head that if you say anything else again, we, we will find other things to charge you on. Um, but she didn't stop speaking. And so that's what Plandemic One is about. Well, Plandemic just a moment before we move yeah. on, what, and I have a couple of questions about what you just said, but what happened to Judy? So she was temporarily jailed and, and let out, but you say she's still speaking out. What's the status today? She, how is she not under continued threat? Or maybe she is, but she's not in jail. Well, you know, she's she's gone so far that at this point, I think they've given up on her because they, they, they know that she's not going to stop. And so um, she's just really on a mission. And, and if you hear it from her, she's on a mission from God. She just feels like this is her life purpose and and she really cares about humanity. And so I, I don't know what to say other than she's just unstoppable. And and as a result of that, she continues to um, speak out. And, and it feels like almost the more in some cases, the more you speak out, the safer you are. I understand. Um, yeah. So is the allegation uh, that the virus happened, however it happened, and this was used by people who had this in mind to clamp down on freedoms and get people in line and track them and so on? Or is the allegation go so far as to say this was released on created and released on purpose to accomplish this goal, because they're two slightly different things. They sure are, and 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 both cases happen 
uh, and has happened through our history of where a real organic virus will emerge and then they leverage it as, as a wise person once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, there's a lot of power that can be had from uh, times of, of fear and, and, and when the, when it, the, the citizenry is in, in a place of, um, you know, paralyzation from being terrorized. Um, but in this case, Cheryl, I, I have seen enough now and have interviewed enough people from all realms of, of this situation that uh, lead us all to believe that this was manufactured through gain-of-function research. So that is a manipulated to be more, more deadly, more dangerous. Um, and that it was, I, I believe, and a lot of people believe that it was released intentionally to um, start a panic. And at a time when when there are a lot of political upheaval and a lot of the, the darkest underground um, situ, um, such as uh, trafficking of, of human beings, uh, a lot of things were, were as you know, uh, there were a lot of untouchables that were being touched, people that were at the top of the pyramid that were suddenly being found out, um, prosecuted, called out. And, and so there, there's a reason to believe that, there, that this was initiated prematurely, I think it was not set to happen for another couple of years from now, but that it was initiated prematurely to uh, run cover when um, all of the other attempts at, at diverting the public's attention failed. Um, and uh, so at this point, I, I, I firmly believe that this was an, an intentional release. After you released the first documentary, all I remember is this swirl of attempt to kind of wipe it off of the information landscape. As it got more popular, there were more and more efforts to controversialize um, Judy, you, and so on. Tell me what happened to you during that time period. And is that film available for people to easily find now? Or has it been kind of hidden away? Because we all know big tech holds great sway over what we're allowed to see and think. Well, we spent a lot of money creating a decentralized website that has has survived for the past two years. And that is at uh, plandemicseries.com. And all the films, Plandemic 1 and 2, plus a bunch of short content that, that delve into the reality of the, the WHO, the FDA, uh, the birth of Big Pharma, and, and many more. Um, if people want to, if they have a short attention span or just a, a limited amount of time and they want to see the short films, and all of it is 100% free on our, on our website at plandemicseries.com. And what's happened to you in this time period? Yeah. Well, so, you know, it was in, very interesting for me because I, I come from uh, the political left and I would even say the far left. I was an activist, environmentalist um, for many years, fighting for all of the headline causes uh, that they want us to fight for or distract us with. And um, it wasn't until I went on the road with Bernie Sanders documenting his 2016 campaign that I started to um, be aware that, that something wasn't as pure as, as I thought it was. So I'm kind of a, a late bloomer. Um, but I started, I couldn't, I couldn't deny uh, that this person that I was just really touting as, as the, um, the next great thing, um, that the policies that I was starting to finally do my homework um, and shame on me for not doing it before I showed so much support, but to really dig into what democratic socialism is um, and all the different facets of it and where it, it would um, inevitably lead. And I didn't start doing that until I was on the road with Bernie and interviewing a lot of people who had, a, um, for an example, a lot of um, uh, positive things to say about communism 
And this kind of blew my mind because this, this was new to me because I thought that was a, a dead subject. And you and, and me both. I mean, I think I'm older than you, but I grew up in a time where nobody dared or even would have. It's not that they supported communism and dared not say it. Maybe that's the wrong word. It's just nobody I knew taught or or thought that that was a way to go. And to fast forward to today, where it's actually, like you say, out of the closet and people are talking about how great socialism and certain communism. aspects of communism are, it is pretty surprising. It is. And it really blew my mind because I would see I'm interviewing young people. We'd stop at uh, along the way, a lot of urban neighborhoods and college campuses. And and I would see these young people with the sickle and hammer shirts or stickers on their laptops. And I would say, explain that to me. Is that, is that, are you being ironic or is that something you really believe in? And they would just go through great link to great links to tell me that, no, this is not the communism you've heard about. This is, this has never been tried here and it, and it will work here. And it's the only thing. And they would say straight out, they would, they would, you know, I was starting to learn about Marxism and they would say, you know, Marx always said that um, it is communism that we're going after, but we must call it socialism um, to not, you know, send the people into panic. We must frame it as socialism until the, the time is right that we can actually call it what it is, which is communism. And I thought, I would ask these young people, are you okay? You really believe this? Like what, what part of that? And, and, and what makes you think that it hasn't worked anywhere, but it will suddenly work here. And do you understand the tyranny that comes with that? And then the one question, none of them, none of them could answer is I would say, um, what is democratic socialism? And they say, well, it's, it's socialism, but by the, by and for the people. And I'd say, so the government's not going to be in charge. The people will be. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know how that works. I say, yeah, either do I. That's the problem is, do you trust the federal government to run our daily lives? And everyone would say no, because a lot of them had a rebellious spirit like I have. And I'd say, but you do understand that this gives the government total control over our daily lives. You, you understand that, that that's unavoidable. And then you would just see them kind of readjust to, well, I think it's going to be different this time. <laughs> it won't be. And that's when I really started to have this awakening of like, maybe I'm not supporting something that I should support, support right now. And then I, I was really stuck because I was left in this kind of moral dilemma of what do I do? I could just jump off the tour, which I did by the time the tour crashed and burned in Philadelphia. I, I got jumped on a red eye, brokenhearted. Um, after Bernie cashed it all in for Hillary Clinton, I thought I was told that he would do that. And I thought there's there's no way he's going to do that. But I kind of understood. I thought at the time I was very much against Trump. And I thought he's just trying to save the world from Trump. And and uh, and so I kind of get it. But then he continued to carry all these um, globalist policies and all push all these all these divisive um, uh, ideologies that demonized anyone that was wealthy and it was and 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 to convince everyone that they were um, oppressed if they didn't have any kind of you know money saved in the bank and and uh, oppressed if they were brown or black and and I, a lot of my my brown and black friends started to reach out to say this is not this is not healthy we don't want this this these ideologies in our world because when we convince our young people that America is stacked against them they give up. And they end up in poverty, and and we we've seen this in in our neighborhoods, and and so what are you doing promoting this? And I just, I had to come out online and just say, I, I have to apologize and withdraw my support, and um, I was wrong, and very few people these days will admit when they're wrong, and and I was wrong, and I withdraw my support, and then then I realized what a cult it was because then I was called a traitor, 
and I had death threats and, and it was really mind blowing. So, but ultimately the gift in that Cheryl was that it, that disconnection from what I considered my tribe was what gave me the courage then to say, well, if it's that fragile, if my relationships are that fragile, then who am I serving here? Why don't I just serve truth? I don't care what side it falls on. And I don't care who I anger because I don't even know how to stop from angering people at this point with cancel culture. You never know what you're supposed to say and not say. So why don't we just tell the truth and let the cards fall where the cards fall? Tasks, deadlines, and projects. What if your teams had a tool that brought everything together? Trello is the project management tool that powers collaboration for over 2 million teams across the globe, including 80% of Fortune 500s. Trello brings teams together by tracking daily to-dos and provides a high-level view across projects and teams. From product development and design to support and production, Trello helps all teams move their work forward together. Thousands of IT admins around the world trust Trello to keep their work safe. With Trello, your teams will have access to hundreds of top-tier integrations they can rely on. A big reason why Trello is top-rated for employee satisfaction. It's where companies do their best work. Trello for enterprise. Learn more by visiting trello.com slash for enterprise. That's T-R-E-L-L-O dot com slash for enterprise. After you did Plandemic, there must have been a short period of time when this was just circulating the world where you thought, wow, I'm really making a difference. But tell me what happened when the people who didn't like what you were saying, what did they do to go after you and the film? And what was that like for you? Well, it was another layer of shock. Um, I, I had had one other experience before, and that was I've been, I worked with the people of Standing Rock for two and a half years, helping the water protectors and the Lakota people um, creating media that would straighten out some of the false narratives um, and, and ultimately getting a lot of people released from um, bogus felony charges for simply, you know, praying or flying a drone and, and they would be made examples of. And so I was deeply involved in, in supporting, and I have been for a number of years, um, Native American culture and a lot of indigenous cultures. And so um, when the Covington student scandal broke out, and I heard that uh, a group of, of red hat wearing little Kentucky Catholic racist surrounded a, the first indigenous people's march and started chanting, build the wall. I was infuriated and, and I set out to make a video to expose the kids. And to make a long story short, it took us one day to find out that the kids were totally set up and, and none of that was accurate. And then that was the first time that I thought, wow, okay, if we, if we tell the truth on this one, it's going to appear that we're supporting a side right now that is very dangerous and we'll be put into that basket of deplorables and probably never come out. Um, but, it, but I have two, I have two boys, two young boys. And I just, I just thought these kids are going to get hung for something they didn't do. So we made a video exposing what actually happened just in service to truth, no political party, but just, we can't let these kids hang for something they didn't do. And that's when, um, really it, the heat came down on me because it appeared that we were supporting Donald Trump. And uh, let and, me just, and that's if you don't mind just to intercede yeah. a story and then pick up where you left off, but that became, I think the downfall of many journalists who compromised their journalism positions and ethics during the Donald Trump era for fear of if they told the truth 
or if they reported things in a fair and neutral way, it was intentionally misinterpreted by people who are against that truth or information as, oh, you support Donald Trump. And that was very effective with some reporters, either because of the bosses that they had or how they felt inside. They didn't want to be labeled that. That terrified them. They they were afraid it would hurt their career. And I think this is why we had such a terrible, a remarkably embarrassing four to five years in major media. And I've tried, um, I've been attacked by some as a Trump supporter for simply pointing out the mistakes made by the media when it comes to accuracy and fairness. These are, as you've said about your work, well-established, well-documented, known things. But you have to be willing to take the flack because the organized efforts know how to use that to intimidate people into not saying these things. It's all part of the managing of our information. But go ahead and pick up where you were. Yeah, well said. The very first time I, I dipped my toe in that in that toxic water was um, when Donald Trump actually created prison reform, and and that was a very good thing for for particularly for brown and black men. And I went on Facebook and I said, "Can we not just celebrate this one thing that this man just did?" And the resounding response was no. <laughs> people literally just, well, I mean, personal messages, people saying, never do that again. You can't, you can't give him a win. You can't give him. And I said, do you understand? I said, there's men that are going to come home from prison, grandfathers and see their child, their, their grandchildren for the first time that were locked up for literally having a, a, a one marijuana cigarette. You know, like there's something to celebrate here. This, this was a racist policy in America. And it's just been, you know, even if he did it for spiteful reasons, you know, to for whatever reason, it's it's happened. Can we celebrate it? The answer was no, you cannot. And I thought we're heading a really di- dangerous terrain when we can't when we're so biased that we that we're going to going to deny reality now and not uh, keep our uh, attention focused on what is good and what is bad. And just and just acknowledge that alone. This is good. This is bad. Um, and so um, that was the first time that I, 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 I had that experience. And so when we when we put the Covington student piece out, th- that's when I really got the first death threats and and craziness, you know, just radical, hateful craziness. And and so I was already kind of in this place of, OK, I see how the game works now and I see the volatility of the situation and, and the moment that we're in right now. And so I know that anything I do from this point on is really dangerous and it can end my career, cause me a lot of problems. But then the pandemic comes out and, and I knew right away, I actually released a video three days after the pandemic was announced. Um, and I just found it. I kind of forgot I made the video just on my cell phone. Three days after it was announced, I came out and I said, I guarantee you this is going to be discovered as gain of function research and that it was intentionally released to kill our economy and to, to create a state of dependency such that people are going to be willing to sacrifice their civil liberties and receive a, a, some form of, of, of a handout of a stipends from our government. And at that point, they're going to own us. And so I don't want to go too far down that road because I have other questions to ask, but one sure. focused question, because I asked this, I know enough not to dismiss conspiracy theories anymore. I've talked <laughs> about that. That's a phrase that itself was controversialized by the CIA years ago to try to discourage people from believing certain things by calling them conspiracies, when in fact, most crimes that are committed, I would say it's conservatively, are conspiracies because it just means two or more people think of something, right. usually something nefarious, and they're involved. That's a conspiracy. It happens all the time. Bonnie and, a theory and, is a, and a theory is an idea. 
Yeah, the mob. Um, most crimes that you're talking about, if more than one person's involved. So I also have a favorite saying somebody tweeted, and I wish I could remember who, um, in the last year. And he said, I have to find some new conspiracy theories because all my old ones came true. <laughs> yeah, that's and right. And there is something to that. I mean, we've yeah. seen that things that were labeled that by people who didn't want us to think it have now been proven to be true. So we can't dismiss out of hand hardly anything that we hear. It's it's potentially no. possible. Yeah. But when you make allegations that are so large about control of society, and a lot of people think mm-hmm. this, who is it at the top that wants this to happen that's that powerful? I mean, it would almost seem to require, are there secret meetings being held by powerful, important, well-funded people? Because those who are working in this won't even be around long enough to see the fruits of what they've done or to personally profit. So what, what is your theory on that? Well, that's an interesting point because a lot of, you know, we've been wired for instant gratification. And so the idea of us to work towards something that we won't see the, the, the fruits of that labor um, within our lifetime is kind of unthinkable. Which we, they do we, in China, by the way, their society is a long-term society. And I learned a little bit about that covering a story. They gather grains of rice meaning information from other countries that they spy and the people who do that won't ever see what the total result is. And they think in terms of hundreds of years, if not thousands, where we're thinking two and four years at a time, but go ahead. That's exactly where I was going. If you look at the culture of, uh, of China, you understand there's, you know, they call it death by a thousand cuts, or there's a great book called the, the hundred year sprint. Um, and if you read the art of war by Sun Tzu, you understand that everything is this real patient, you know, like water beats a rock in time. And that just, I mean, wrap your head around that, you know, the, the stone will literally erode and water will eventually win. And so it's that, it's that continuous chipping away at something that over time will erode it to nothing. And so that's, what's been taking place here in America for, um, as you, as you mentioned, a hundred years or more, and there have been a lot of people that have been involved in this and some of them are foreign and some of them are, a lot of them are domestic. Last question um, on that. Do they yeah. hand this idea off to one another, or is this just what organically naturally develops among people who feel a certain way? I mean, is there sort of a, in your view, in your opinion, your theory, a plan to this and they hand each other the playbook. Here's where we are. Here's what we have to do. Or is it just something that happens? Because of what well, in the in the same way that I was part of a cult and I didn't know it, I was part of a, a a political cult and I believed everything at face value and fought for those ideologies and I really had no idea what they meant. But the fact that my tribe, it's tribalism. The fact that my tribe, by agreeing with these, these things, I was constantly rewarded. People would say, "Yes, good boy. Yes, thank you for saying that." Yes, that feels good, and 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 that 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 moves this agenda forward. There's a, this constant reward, and and we're we're susceptible to that because we want to fit in, we want agreement. Agreement is a very powerful thing that very few people talk about. The power of agreement, that's kind of a false way of feeling connected with our community is through agreement. Um, but true community is a community that you can disagree with and still love each other and still be connected. But I realized how fragile my tribe was the moment I would disagree or create a, you know, say something that wasn't within the, the mainstream chosen narrative, then I was just attacked. 
And so that's when you know it's a cult. And so a lot of the, this operation is cult-like in its psychological behavior. There's a lot of, there's people at the top, just like, a, just like in a cult, there's leaders at the top. It's rarely one person, one man, but it's, it's the leader and a couple of his closest cohorts. Um, and then it's all the people under, underneath that just buy into the programming and the, and the hypnotic spell so much that they, it just, they start to, um, they start to actually push the agenda themselves as these unwitting, as the, as, as it's been called useful idiots to drive the agenda forward, just like what's happening right now. There's times when people will come at me strong and I'll say to them, do you trust big pharma? And they say, no. Do you trust big government? No. Do you trust big media? No. Everything you're saying right now is their truth. It's their narrative. You're fighting for them. You're literally fighting for big pharma when you, when you refuse to question mandates, when you refuse to question the safety of the vaccines. When, you know, and, but, but the people then take this on themselves and it becomes this religion that you can't even, you can't even question at this point. And we've, now we're there with COVID. You can't even question stuff that's just absolutely uh, fundamental. Like, should we have the, uh, the government forcing our children now who are in a zero, almost 0% risk uh, category? It, it, is it a good idea with a vaccine that we've not seen or experimental medicine that we've not even seen the long-term effects of? Do you think it's a good idea that we give that to our children that don't need it right now? And that common sense is gone. People just go, yeah, because they want to, they've dangled the carrot of this is how you can participate back in society and your life will return to normal and things will be good again, just like two weeks to flatten the curve. Well, we know that the art of influence and the psychology, <clears throat> the psychology of how we think and how we act and how we behave has been well studied by corporate interests, by our intel agencies, that's documented. They know what buttons to pull, what phrases to use, what tactics to do to obtain a certain behavior, at least among a certain percentage of people, maybe not everybody. That's right. And, you know, there's a funny story because not even referring to anything in particular, on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, I posted the infamous quote by Hitler's propagandist Goebbels, and I'll paraphrase it, but it's something like, it is quite possible with an understanding of your audience to convince people that a square is in fact a circle. And I think that just says a lot about the power that they knew they had as propagandists in World mm -hmm. War II and Hitler's folks and the power of propaganda in general. I posted that without comment, just a factual quote, didn't refer to anything. I got banned from Facebook and I thought, you know, for three days or something like that, I thought, Maybe they have artificial intelligence. And because I said the word Hitler, it triggered something. Yeah. So when they allowed me back, I wrote about what happened without using the word Hitler. And I, or Goebbels, I said that the propagandists had said something that maybe triggered their artificial intelligence. And there's no way to appeal it. If you try to appeal, like it says you can, they just say they're too busy to appeal. And then I got banned for seven days for saying that for a week. Wow. And I still don't understand why. I mean, I understand why, but you I don't understand, understand why. why. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm back, but I can't. Every time I try to post something, I get a thing that says, for security reasons, your account will be your account will be limited for a few days, you know. Uh-huh. So yeah. this is just, I don't know, a frightening aspect of the things that we're talking about. That's all impacted how much you can speak. I mean, there was a time and it wasn't long ago. I'm talking about pre-2016. 
I don't think, and I documented this pretty well in my second book, that there was um, there was any movement to say you absolutely can't see information we don't want you to see. Now there may have been people trying to controversialize it or tell people that's not true. Hey, that's fair game. That's the battle of ideas. But this whole notion that people should not be able to see and make up their own minds about stuff that other people are seeing that they don't want you to see. This is just amazing. And I would never have guessed it would have taken grip like it has today. I want to finish with you telling me about the film that you're making now. Is it sort of a pandemic three? It is pandemic three. It is. And we've got some incredible people that were probably 30% into it at this point. And it's going to be the the most important film that we've ever made um, by far. Um, It's really about stopping the indoctrination and trafficking of our children. But through that lens, it allows us to expose all of the different organizations and ideologies that are have been uh, infiltrating our school boards and all of our education that ultimately um, will and have already begun to turn our children against themselves and each other and, and their nation. Um, and so it's a very important that we all take that very seriously, because when you get into the minds, uh, especially at a developing stage, it's very hard to come back from that um, because that's when the cement is drying and that's their foundation that they're going to base their life upon. And so it's largely about that. And we have some incredible people that are going to be involved in this one from all the, the top doctors the bravest doctors in the world to people like Eric Clapton and, and some incredible journalists. We're going to do a deeper dive into really the effects of the media and, and the way that we have a lot of whistleblowers that ha- are leaving mainstream media to come and really talk uh, because they can't participate in, in that game anymore. They now realize that what they're doing is, is um, shaping the world that they have to live in and that their children have to live in. And they're now seeing the effects of that. And so um, we're, we're really excited about this one. Uh, we're going to, uh, it's going to be, did you by chance see the, the, the trailer of that? Did Kiersey send that to you? No. I'll, I'll send it to you. It's actually a teaser. It's about eight minutes long and I'll send that to you, but you'll see that we're taking a very different approach. Um, we're using a lot of music in it because a lot of music has been used to actually, uh, music videos and influencers, uh, YouTube influencers have been paid over the last couple of years to convince, a generation of young people, how cool it is to get inoculated with an experimental drug. And so we're going to use the power of music and comedy um, uh, to uh, show the, to really kind of be a mirror to the absurdity uh, of our world and, and, and to, um, to, to, I guess, you know, to really illustrate the depth of the situation, but most importantly, the solutions. I'm, a little tired of talking about the problems and dwelling on all the negativity and the craziness. And there's a, 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 a quote by Buckminster Fuller that says, you never defeat an old system by trying to defeat the old system, but by creating a new system that renders the old system obsolete. So we've moved off into a proactive stage now of innovating. I'm involved in five or six startups with new tech solutions to censorship and um, our mutual friend, Laura Logan, and I are looking at uh, how do we broaden um, the, or, or do our best to create some kind of a new, new news network or something that will allow people a trusted source of information. And so there's uh, the inspiring part of what I'm witness to because I'm on a speaker's tour with my, I have a, a book out called Plandemic and I'm on a speaker's tour for that book. And, and I'm 
uh, meeting all of these people from around the world who are um, stepping up to innovate solutions to this problem because they're now aware of what's actually taking place. The unbelievable is, is, is happening here in our nation and our world. And so uh, we're going to spotlight a lot of those innovations and solutions so that people actually understand how resilient and brilliant the human organism is. One of the things you said, which is so smart, and I think that I've searched for those words as I've tried to explain to people, um, I do think answers are coming in the form of a new system. I think people inherently know there's something wrong and broken with this information control, even if you don't hear from them, you know, can't hear from them very often. And I've spoken with in the past couple of years, investors who want to invest in that sort of new thing. There are technical people who want to invent it. And there are news people who want to work at a place like that. And I think they will come together in some, in some new ways that render the manipulated ways obsolete. And then we'll start the war to take over that too, in any way powers like corporate and political interests can but it should buy some time and maybe get us back to more where we're able to access free and open information like we did pre 2016. So well said luck on that. Thank when you. is the um, film three going to be out? Do you think? May 4th. That and was when that be plan- released. Go ahead. Plandemic one was released May 4th. We pushed the button and said, may the fourth be with us. And so we're going to going okay. to do that again <laughs> on this May 4th. And where will people be able to find it? All over the world, we have a massive network uh, of support now, so they, they, you won't miss it. It'll be out like the first one everywhere you can imagine, but plandemicseries.com, if, if people go there, there's a, a newsletter sign up. Uh, that's the way that we communicate with everyone. And then we have a Telegram channel called Official Plandemic, and that's the other place that we communicate with, um, with everyone who's interested. That was Mickey Willis, creator of the Plandemic series. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, wherever you like to listen. And if you like this subject matter, leave us a great review, share it with your friends. To support independent journalism, visit the Cheryl Atkinson store. Click the store tab at CherylAtkinson.com. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. All right, folks, all of you know the story about my crick in my neck and how I bought a MyPillow a few years ago, and all of a sudden, my neck just healed up. In fact, the orthopedist couldn't figure out what the heck had John done. I, it was simple. I just bought one of Mike Lindell's pillows, and I all of a sudden found I wasn't sleeping right on my pillow. Mike's pillows did the trick. Well, guess what? He's done it again. He's got something new. He's now introducing his new My Slippers. You want the best slipper ever, the best foot experience late at night? Well, Mike has got. He took over two years to develop this. He designed it to wear this slipper indoor and outdoor all day long. It's comfortable, it's durable. It's made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue in the slipper. And it's made with quality leather suede. They look good, they feel good, they wear good. For a limited time now, Mike is offering 50% off his new My Slippers. You will also receive a free book with any purchase. The My Slippers are so comfortable that you'll want to get some for the whole family. It's a great gift, especially heading into springtime. So here, here's what you do. You go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's easy to remember, right? The promo code JUSTNEWS and you will get deep discounts on all the MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and of course, the MyPillow towel set. And don't forget, y'all want those My Slippers. You gotta have them, they're incredible. Here's another way you can take advantage of this. You can call 800 800- 
800-951-3715 and use the promo code Just News when someone picks up. Call 800-951-3715. Use the promo code Just News. Pretty simple stuff for the best slipper sheet pillow experience of your life.